The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to this week's People I Sort of Know podcast. I'm Chase Palmer, and thank you for uh, all the comments, all the listens on last week's debut episode with Aaron Napier of HGTV Hometown. This week, we're going to talk to Ben Ingram. He's the uh, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves. He's been doing play-by-play for the Braves alongside Jim Powell and uh, Joe Simpson for several years now. He's a Madison, Mississippi native. He is uh, he's an Ole Miss fan. We talk a little baseball as far as the uh, the Rebels winning the national championship for the end of the show. But a lot of the show today about his day-to-day. He's in the middle of baseball season. He has the uh, the call from the World Series last year as the Braves won the uh, the, the World title last year in the uh, the 2021 World Series over the Houston Astros. So again, we talk a little bit about what his day-to-day looks like, how he operates, how he preps, what he's looking for during a broadcast, and much more. He's just a really interesting guy. Um, obviously being a, uh, a radio voice, someone who uh, has tons of interesting stories and many, many things. So we're going to get to that here now on the People I Sort of Know podcast. Again, thanks to all you guys. I really appreciate it. I think you'll really enjoy Ben Ingram coming up uh, right now. He is the radio play-by-play voice for the Atlanta Braves. Ben, thanks so much for uh, joining me today, spending a little time. I know you're a busy man. We're recording this here uh, on July 7th. as uh Middle of baseball season, a lot going on. You said you're just leaving the gym. I am curious about that. On a on, on a day, let's say there's a game. What is your normal day these days? <laughs> I wish I I wish I had a normal day. They're, they're kind of all over the place, but um, I, I try to take the morning to do whatever I need to do. And gym, grocery store, errands, whatever. Because come about twelve twelve thirty, it's time to start thinking about getting to the ballpark that night and. I usually have to interview Snit around 4, 4.15 every day, so I try to leave for the ballpark around 2.30, and uh, that way I've got plenty of time to get there, settle in, and and do whatever. I just hate being rushed, man, so I, I like to get there a little bit earlier than normal. What's prep like for something like that? I mean, you're talking to the dude every day. I mean, like, is that is that just seat of pants, or do you write that stuff down, even just day-to-day like that? You know, it's a really good question. I, I say... I typically like to get about five or six questions in every single day. And there might be two or three things that I'll, I'll, it'll cross my mind between last night's game and doing the interview. And I might put a note in my phone for that. Everything else is just kind of conversational. I want it to be loose. Um, I, I don't want it to sound 
scripted or, or regimented because, I mean, Snit's not like that at all. I don't want the interview to fit his personality. And uh, he just loves talking the game. And, and anytime you can get off the beaten path and ask him questions that he doesn't normally get, I find those, those are when I get the best answers out of him. He gets asked a million times a night uh, about the same things over and over again. And while there are times that I have to ask the question, uh, I, I think about, I'll give you a perfect example. Last night, Adam Duvall, um, I, I had to ask about his wrist and how he's coming along. I don't know he'd been asked a million times about that over the last two, three days. So there are times where you do have to get a question out there that fits what's going on. But uh, I try to make it conversational and uh, just talk of the game and, and see whatever pops up and take it whichever direction he wants to go with it. So 415, 430 for him, say it's 635 start or whatever. What's that next two hours? I know I might be the only human interested in this, but it's fascinating to me because it's <laughs> such it's so different than anyway, my process as a writer. So I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, when we finish that, and then you're right, it's typically about 425, 430. Um, our booth, for some reason, is the congregating place for everybody. TV, writers, whomever, they love coming to our booth. So I feel like we're constantly, I, I feel like I'm hanging out for about an hour or so after I do SNIT every day. If, if it's not Peter Moylan, it's Chip Carey. If it's not Chip Carey, it's uh, Nick Green. If it's not Nick Green, it's Brian Jordan or all the above. Um, and when we just all hang out and we talk the game, it's a lot of fun. It's one of my favorite times of the whole day where you're just talking the game with baseball people. And uh, a lot of those guys that I mentioned are former players and they have insight and input that, you know, normal people like you and I wouldn't know about. And it's a great way to learn more about what's going on. Um, I try to get down to the cage. Batting practice typically starts about 445 for home games. That's when the guys start jumping into the cage with the first group. For the, I'd love to go down there every single day, but there's just not enough time um, because you have to do your book. I, I, I'm very meticulous when it comes to my scorebook. I'm going to get to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that'll take me a while. But I try to get down to the cage the first game of a series, um, see some of our guys, see some of our coaches, talk about trends, things like that. And, and spend about 30 to 40 minutes down to the batting cage and, and gain nuggets and wisdom that you don't normally get otherwise. And then it's back up to the booth. Um, we record our, our intro and our opening. We have, we have two segments uh, that lead up to the first pitch, and one is uh, an opening to the game, and the other one is uh, reading the lineups. And we record both of those segments because we don't want to do it live and run into an anthem running late or, or come back from break and be halfway through the anthem. Uh, we don't feel like that would sound good night in, night out, catching half the anthem. So we just record, and that way it runs, and it's on time. And by the time that, that those recorded pieces end, uh, we're two minutes from first pitch every single night. We come back and we do the game. So uh, th those are some of the things that we're doing in between my arrival and first pitch every single night. And also the most important thing, eating dinner. I mean, dinner <laughs> I typically eat about an hour before the first pitch. Yeah. Uh, that's got to be – that's got to be one hour before the first pitch every night. That's a that's kind of a weird thing that I do, but it's I found that if I eat then, then I won't be hungry later in the game. Baseball is such a good radio sport. Is what you're talking about. You've got you've got it, it's a marathon. You've got time. You're 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 interspersing a lot of these things that you're probably learning that day or just thinking or whatnot. How long did it take, and maybe it's a work in progress, to figure out how to manage that from a when do I go into some things that are not talking about the game? When do I just let the place sit with the ambient noise as it is? I mean, what is what is sort of the art of that? It's 
a really good question. Um, I, I think it's probably reps and feel. I mean, the, the more reps you do, the better feel you're going to have for the flow of the game. And your instincts kind of kick in, and you know when it's okay to go off the beaten path, tell a story that might take a few pitches. Uh, you have to pick your spots because you hate getting into something with two outs and then the inning ends, and then you're trying to come back from break and pick up where you were. That that never sounds good. It happens, uh, but you try to limit that as much as possible. I think it's just feel. I think it's like anything else. I mean, you, you think about the relationship that you might have with, with friends or your girlfriend or your wife. The more time you spend with them, the more time you know where to pick your spots uh, when it comes to having certain conversations about this, that, or the other. It might be the same thing for what we do. Uh, because what happens on the field is the most important thing, uh, and, and you don't want to miss anything there. But at the same time, you have to keep your audience entertained. Um, and I think the more you're around the game and the more broadcast you do, the better feel you have for the game itself and when it's a, an appropriate time to drop in uh, whatever nugget that you might have. That's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. And um, I, I really do think it's just a feel that comes with time. Do you have – for lack of a better word, rainy day stories. I mean, you know, a game gets to be 12 to nothing. I mean, do you have some ideas, some stuff you can do to kill time during some of those things? A lot of times you do. I mean, I, I will – I don't say this to pat myself on the back by any means. I, I just like doing prep. I do a lot more prep than probably most guys. Uh, and that's just because I enjoy it. I, I love the research. I love – uh, you know, going into different wormholes and finding information and stuff that is off the beaten path. I love giving my audience nuggets that they won't get anywhere else. And I challenge myself to find that. And sometimes you come across a, a treasure trove of information, a long story that, that's entertaining about a guy. And maybe you don't have uh, the appropriate time to tell a story like that when it's a 3-3 ball game in the eighth inning. But like you mentioned, if you've got a 9-2 game and it's a blowout, it's good to have something there. I have a lot of information and, and prep. I'll use this series, for instance. We're playing the Cardinals for four games. So typically a series is three games. Um, with four, I'm doing more prep and I have a little bit more information than I normally would. So I will have something, if that case comes about tonight, where if I've got to dive into something, I can. If I never get around to it, that's okay. I file it away. We play the Cardinals again in August in St. Louis. And I'll have it for them. I, I file information away after we play a team. And when we play them again, I'll bring it back out, refresh that information, and it's there for me. Um, if you happen to not have something there, if you happen to not have something you want to dive into that can carry you 10, 15 minutes or so, uh, a lot of that stuff you just make up on the fly. Um, when, you're, when, you're, when you have somebody there working with you, it's easy to be conversational. It's easy to come up with something and you both know that, all right, we need to stretch this out. We need to milk this and have some fun with this because it's a 12 nothing ball game. We want people to continue to listen. Um, so I, I think that's where you tap into the person who you're working with. And that's where it pays to have good chemistry and a good relationship with them where they know you, you know them, and you can get off into whatever you want to. Um, and I, I think about working with Joe. Joe's so good about being good with whatever I throw at him. It could be something about the game. It could be something that, that has nothing to do with the game. Uh, and he's so good at that where I can just throw whatever topic at him and he's going to have something to say about it and we can banter back and forth. So I, I think that's how you get through those tough nights where it's a blowout game and otherwise no one would be listening.
did that take a little time from a feel standpoint with him to you know to know your each other's cadences and things where you might not talk over each other or you know some breaths are happening because I mean I, I experienced that to some level even in podcasts where if you don't know the person quite as well it does get a little more jumbled does that take time to, to develop rhythm with somebody I think it definitely does now I think that rhythm can come quicker with some people um, you know, you're not going to have chemistry with everybody. I, I think you can have, here's the, here's the thing, no matter who they put in the booth with me, I will find a way to have some kind of a chemistry with them. Uh, I, I feel like that's, that's something that is, um, that I can do. I can, I can learn a person. I can know what, where the sweet spots are. Uh, I can know where to go and, and what to bring up to bring out the best in them. That's my job is to bring out the best in the person who's next to me, among other things. Um, but that does take a little bit of time. I'm fortunate that, that Joe and I had chemistry right off the bat, and we knew each other for years before we ever even worked a game with each other. Of course, he was doing TV for so many years. I was doing pregame and postgame, so you're around these people. But um, I, I feel very fortunate that when you are uh, with somebody every single night, I've worked with some people who have had no problem having good chemistry with and learning their cadences, learning when to jump in, when to not. Um, you know, for, for us, it's a three-man booth. Two of the three of us are working every single night. Uh, so whether it's me and Jim Powell or me and Joe Simpson, I know that going into those games, those two partners of mine are a little bit different with their cadences, uh, when I need to jump in, when I need to interject, what I need to interject. Uh, so you kind of throttle back and forth between the two partners because they're two different individuals. But uh, that definitely takes a little time to come up with and to learn. And But once you get it, it's it's pretty easy. You've got it memorized and you know when you need to do whatever it is with that person that you're working with that night. I knew you were pretty meticulous with your organization and your preparation. What does that look like on a computer? Is it folder for each team? What is, what, what, what is, what is our setup here for this, uh, this amount of information and reports? Man, I, I wish I was that technologically advanced. I, mean, I use a computer, but everything that I do, everything that I, uh, have as far as notes and prep that's all written down um and, and that sounds extremely antiquated i know <laughs> um but but that's the way that i absorb information is by writing it down if i write something down i will remember it um if i see let's say for instance tonight uh, tommy edmund comes up to the plate if, if i were just typing in information or whatever maybe i would uh, be able to absorb that maybe not but i've written information down so even if I look at, my, even if I have my notes in front of me or not, I see his name come up to the plate. That triggers memories of what I wrote down in my mind, and I can throw that out there. Um, that's just I, I learned how to do that. I learned that that was what I was good at, and that's just the way that my ridiculously bizarre brain works. So I just go with it. And um, I've got a uh, a desk in my office that's just filled with lineup cards. And that's where I jot down all my notes. When the team produces the lineup each night, the lineup sheet, um, I, I write everything on that, and then I keep those. If we're finished with the team, um, you know, for instance, uh, we, we just saw the Reds. We're, we're finished with the Reds for the season. I throw away all my notes and, and get rid of that clutter because we won't see them the rest of the year. But for the Cardinals, we're playing them tonight. We play them again in August. I'll keep these notes until we play them in August, and I'll chuck them at that point, and I'll start all over again next year. So I, I know that sounds really kind of, kind of, I guess, all over the place and scatterbrained when it comes to my prep and my notes and all that, but it, it's all written down, and for some strange reason, it, it works for my brain. 
Because it's that deal where, I mean, you obviously have tons of this internal memory. I mean, if you know when you play the Nationals, you're going to already have everything. You're not going to be doing the same amount of prep for them that you would if they get back right. into the World Series and you're playing the White Sox, who are brand new. I mean, that's a totally different level of, of what you'd be doing the day before, two days before, or a week before at that point. That's exactly right. And that's, you know, it's, it's easier when you're playing teams in your division. When we finish with this series with the Cardinals tonight, we've got the Nats coming to town for three, and then we have the Mets coming to town for three. Well, we see those teams 19 times a year. Uh, I want to brush up on, um, you know, the pitchers that we're facing, what they've been doing, that kind of thing. If there's a player who was injured the last time we faced them and might be coming back, you want to brush up there. But for the most part, you've got all that information already down. Uh, that makes it very streamlined when it comes to prepping for a team that you've seen multiple times. And it, it gives you an opportunity to, I don't want to say that cut a corner, um, but, but you don't have to spend quite as much time on uh, prepping for that team. And, and I think it's very important when, when you play 162 games in 182 days, it is very important to know when to throttle on, when to throttle off. You're, you'll go absolutely crazy if you go 100 miles an hour every single night. It's just not going to work out and you're not going to last. Um, so I, I think that that's where you have to go through multiple seasons, learn where you can really press hard, learn where you can take a breather for yourself know when you need to go to the ballpark early, know when you need to take uh, a day and go in a little bit later than you normally would, or take the late bus to the ballpark on the road. I think there's a steady balance there, and uh, it's all done in ways to keep your sanity through a season and make sure that you don't burn out by August 1. That goes for just your own personal care, too. I mean, you're doing this 162 times. You've got postseason. You've got so much travel, but... Even to the level the, that I do it, I mean, I cover a 56-game regular season that stretched into 70 as Ole Miss went to the College World Series. But, you know, I kind of get done with the baseball season. I go, hey, if I haven't gained weight and my fitness appears to be somewhat of the same thing, that's a that's a win for baseball season. But you've got more, a lot more months than <laughs> I do. What are sort of the tenets to, to kind of make sure you get gym, you know, eating, that kind of thing? I mean, how do you manage that on the road or at home? I'll tell you what's the hardest part is when you get home from a road trip. Um, to me, it's a lot easier on the road than it is at home. My days are a lot less cluttered on the road because there are fewer things that I have to do. I, I go downstairs to the bottom of the hotel. When I'm ready to go to the ballpark, there's a bus there that takes me to the, to the ballpark. I don't have to worry about driving in, parking, any of that stuff. They take us right into the ballpark. Um, a lot of times in these cities, our hotels are in places where there are lots of eating options close to the hotel. And I'm a big breakfast person. I got to get up. I got to eat. I, I hate going without breakfast. So when I'm on the road, wake up, throw on gym clothes, walk downstairs, walk somewhere to get something to eat. And then I go right to the gym, usually right after that, and try to do what I need to do to make myself feel good. If, if I'm not uh, exercising, if I'm not eating the way that I need to, that kind of thing, I'll feel run down. That's just me. Um, and I've learned that over the years. I'm 42 years old, and you kind of you, you, over time you learn what works best for you and how you perform best. And once I check those boxes off, I feel like then I can, with a clear mind, turn my attention to work that night, getting done what I need to get done, having the prep done that I need to get done. So for me, it, it's getting up and knocking out those things that you need to do for yourself. Uh, going to pick up your dry cleaning, or going to the grocery store, and making sure that you have food at the house. Uh, and, and that's why it's difficult coming back from the road trip because you've been gone for a week or a week and a half 
and you don't really have any groceries or anything like that. So it's, you got to find time to go and make sure you, you grocery shop or get a haircut or all those things that pile <laughs> up. They don't sound like very difficult things, yeah. but they pile up and you get back and you're overwhelmed and think, gosh, I got all these things I got to do and then get to the ballpark. So uh, that's just kind of how you manage. What time do you get out of the park typically for a game that starts 6.30, 7 o'clock? Are you kind of one of those that has to wind down? I mean, you get to sleep pretty easily, or are you up for a couple hours kind of doing whatever? I'm usually up. I mean, if I can be in bed by 1.30, it's it's typically a good night's sleep for me. I mean, that, that way I can sleep till you know, 9.30 and get eight hours of sleep. Uh, some nights that comes easier than others. Um, I mean, I dive into the melatonin every night to try to knock me out, and make sure I go to bed. But um, I mean, sometimes you have a uh, an exciting game where, let's say, you have a walk off and it's a three and a half hour game. It, it, it's hard to wind down from that. It's imagine coming home from a nine to five job and being in bed by six p.m. That just doesn't happen mm-hmm. for people. Uh, and I think it's the same for us. You you can't come home and just go right to bed. Yeah, I'd have to be pretty exhausted to do that. But it's typically come home, turn on MLB Network, watch the last two or three innings of a ball game that's currently on, um, watch some a quick pitch and see some of the other games that are taking place in the league, what do the other teams in our division do, who's hot, who's hurt, those things. Um, and then at that point, it's you're trying to think about, all right, I need to get in the bed and, and um, try to get as much sleep as possible. But, you know, a lot of times I'll try to get home and, and, and start prep for the next ball game. Uh, if I can work ahead, and I, I might do that half the time. I, I bet about 50% of the time I'll come home and at least do my pitcher's prep for the next night and be done with that before I even wake up the next day. So uh, there's definitely an unwinding period and probably a good couple hours that take place between getting home and then finally getting in the bed. You get home and you turn on, say, a West Coast game and you're watching more baseball. Is that is that a necessity for your job and the way you prepare, or is that just what you enjoy doing? I mean, is there, is that, what, what level of that is personal where you just love the game and you want to watch what's on versus you feel it's some level of necessary? No, it's definitely a personality flaw. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of, it's kind of ridiculous to think you just want, you just spent six hours at the ballpark. Now you're going to go home and watch more baseball. What is wrong with you? I understand. My girlfriend makes fun of me for that all the time. She, she, she'll come over and she'll say, are we seriously going to watch more baseball? And I'll say, I don't know what else to put on right now. I don't feel like scrolling through the guide. You put on whatever. It, it's definitely a, an issue. It's kind of a sickness, but no, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to do. I, we get home and, Flip on the game, and it's just kind of what you've been doing all day. So put some more on as you uh, wind down the evening. I know, I know, my girlfriend hates it. So um, that's typically when I just give her the remote and let her do whatever. Yeah, my big thing is I, I, I'm a little bit of an introvert, even though my job requires me to talk all the time. And when I, I'm tired, is I'll get finished, and somebody will be like, "Hey, so tell me what happened today." And I'm like, "Do I do I have to? Can I just sit here? Do I need to tell you know?" And you have to kind of tell yourself, "No, these people are in your personal life. Sure. You need to include them. You need to." find that extra level of energy to, to, to get to that point. Sometimes it's a, it's a challenge because I get that. Sometimes you just kind of want to go, Hey, I don't know, just do what you want and let it be what it is. You, you alluded to it. I am so envious of your handwriting, maybe more than anything, Ben is I am left-handed. I, I should have been a doctor the way I write and your scorebook is pristine. <laughs> I, I, I am, I am, I am an envious to a level that I don't know how to explain to you. <laughs> well, it, it's, um, it is kind of weird. I mean, I, I'm not a, a neat freak. I like things to be in order, but, but you know, if I got, if my place isn't immaculate all the time, it doesn't bother me. However, 
with my scorebook, if there's a lineup change, Chase, there's nothing I hate more than a lineup change 10 minutes before first pitch, and I have to take white out to the scoreboard. It bothers me all night long. Um, speaking of speaking of personality issues, um, yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I like to look down on a finished product and see that I've got everything top to bottom neat and orderly, and I, I like looking at these scorebooks down the road. I mean, there are times in the off season, I'll go grab a scorebook from seven, eight years ago and just thumb through it for 10 minutes and, and look at, you know, what happened on this random night versus this random team and think about this player, wonder what that guy's doing now, or, you know, it was cool to have this guy's game or or things like that. So I like for them to tell a story. I'd like to think that one day long after I'm gone, it'll be cool for somebody somewhere, whether it's a family member or uh, maybe here at, at, at the ballpark or some, somewhere they've got my books and they can tell the story one day and, and keep a good record of what uh, happened when I was calling games. And I just like for it to be neat and orderly. And uh, it, it is a little bit over the top sometimes with, with how neat and orderly I want my book. Hey, it is a resource because I'll tell you today, David Kellum has kept every scorebook he's done since 1977 for baseball. And if I need That's something, awesome. I will call him and go, Hey, I'm writing about this, whatever, because I'll, I'll give you an example. So when Ole Miss, I guess a couple of years ago, they finally beat LSU and Baton Rouge two out of three in baseball. And the last time they had done that was 1982 prior to 2019. And I said, hey, I'm writing a story on that 82 series in Baton Rouge. What do you have? And he's like, well, I've got everything. Hold on. And here's the scorebook and here's the entire thing. And I got the the, the, the whole the whole gamut of information. So, no, it's. It's a it, it's a resource, and yeah, I'll I'll include a couple photos. You tweet them out from time to time for the uh, the listeners. But it's also it's it's your job. I mean, if everything's not organized, you have to know where to find it too. I would assume that it's even it's probably evolved a little bit on how you keep the book over the years. You're probably keeping it a little bit different than you were when you were doing the Mississippi Braves ten twelve years ago. It's been a a major evolution uh, with with how I, I keep a book. And it, it's funny that you say that because you you learn over time what organization means to you. Um, organization for one broadcaster might be completely different from another, but the way that I keep score, yes, it's organized. Yes, it's informative. But above all, it allows me to do my job a lot more uh, streamlined. It allows me to do my job a lot more fluently where I know where to look, what I'm looking for. It, it, it allows me to find things a lot quicker than I normally would. And I've learned that over time. I was doing a ball in Eugene, Oregon when my, uh, my boss, he was our, my associate general manager with the team showed me one of his books and he highlighted strikeouts and walks. And I thought to myself, that would be a great way to look back and see how many strikeouts we had in one ball game. Then I thought to myself, well, why wouldn't, why would I stop there? Why wouldn't I highlight home runs and double plays as well? So I've got a yellow highlighter for strikeouts, an orange one for walks, a green one for homers, and a blue one for double plays. So I can look back to a game. Those markings jump out at me. I can see we had three homers hit into one double play, struck out seven times, and had four walks like that. Um, without having to go through and count each up individual, uh, each individual number. Um, and then it, it, then it dawned on me about seven or eight years ago, I was in uh, an office depot, and I see this pack of pins, and they've got, uh, I don't know, 20 different colors of pins in there. And I thought to myself, why wouldn't I keep score and have each individual pitcher who throws in different color ink? And that way it would, it would be much more organized to me where – 
I use the same order every night, black, green, blue, purple, red. And, and I can I can see when a new pitcher came into the game, the innings that he was in there, and it just jumps off the page to me. And that might seem silly to some people, but for me it, it makes what I do a lot easier to do on the air, and, and that's how it evolved over the years. What kind of help do you have? Any? Um, During games? In terms of – this is something spotty, stats, just in general. Yeah, like what's in your ear? Well, our, our producer, Jonathan, if there's a stat that comes up in the middle of a game, um, he'll print that out and put it in front of us. That might okay. happen uh, two or three times a homestand maybe. It doesn't happen a lot. You okay. know, we get game notes every single day from the media relations yeah, departments sure. for each team, and, and you, you know, you take whatever you like out of that. But for the most part, I'm – I'm finding things on my own and just have an inquisitive mind and find myself going down rabbit holes to find certain things. So that's kind of how it all comes together. What was the first game you announced ever? What level? What'd you do? It was, it was September 3rd. I want to be pretty sure September 3rd, 1998. Uh, it was Heinz community college and East Mississippi community college in scuba. And I was doing color commentary for Heinz Community College. Uh, Lee, Ad- there's a, there was a broadcaster named Lee Adams. He did Jackson Academy football and basketball, and he did Heinz Community College football. And my father owned a rental property, and Lee rented the home from him. And I was in high school, and when my dad found out he broadcasted high school and junior college athletics, he mentioned – uh, me to him and said, my son wants to get into this. And Lee took me under his wing and he brought me in. He was in a, I say this in the very best way possible. He was very hard on me in terms of broadcasting, learning, broadcasting, doing it right, breaking bad habits. Uh, it, it was broadcasting 101 for me and I needed a lot of help. I was 17, 18 years old and I'd go over to, to his house. We'd mute the TV. We'd broadcast a game together. And he'd go through my tape, and he would critique my tape and help me to get better and better. And then he brought me into the booth and let me do Heinz Community College games with him on Thursday nights. I did color commentary. That was the first game I ever did. I was 18 years old. And then the very next year, my sophomore year at Mississippi College, they let me do football, baseball, and basketball. So I did uh, play-by-play for Mississippi College athletics while I was in school there. And then jumped into minor league baseball after that. But that, that was the first time I was ever on the air was at um, East Mississippi Community College for a uh, junior college football game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Who won? That is a great question. I do not remember. I have to look it up. <laughs> I have no idea. I remember. I just remember being extremely nervous, and um, I, I just wanted to do really well. I, I, I've always put a whole lot of pressure on myself, even from day one. I mean, I, this goes back to, you know, little league ball. I just wanted to be the best, no matter what I did, and I, I just put a lot of pressure on myself. And I remember driving over there that night, thinking. Gosh, you, you never know who could be listening to this. And I, was, I was probably a bit naive, but I just wanted to be really good in case somebody out there was listening and wanted me to, to come and, you know, be the number one guy for their school or for their team. So that's how I approached that, that night and every night since then. And I just remember being very, very nervous about that game. I had a semester where I switched my major from journalism to political science and then realized I didn't want to be a lawyer pretty quickly when I started working in a law office when I was in college. Did you get to a point ever when there was something else you contemplated doing, or has this pretty much been one streamlined thing since that point? I mean, you know, how did, I, I guess it's the same question. I mean, when do you know for sure, hey, this can be a career? Mm-hmm. Well, I never had a plan B and, and I, I just got lucky chase. I, um, if this hadn't worked out, I don't know what I would have ended up, ended up doing. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm very average at everything else that I've ever done. And, um, you know, do, when I was doing minor league baseball, I mean, minor league baseball doesn't pay anything. I had five different jobs when I was calling Mississippi Braves games before I came to Atlanta. I, mean, I was doing, voiceover work on television commercials for Comcast there locally in Jackson. I have a, an uncle who does cabinetry and construction. I was doing work with him. I was doing high school football, Mississippi Braves. Uh, I, I had a, a sports talk show that I did every afternoon. And uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that I would have enjoyed doing any of those things as a career. I just knew that when I was a kid that for some reason I had – uh, a magnetism towards broadcasting. I, I was very into listening to broadcasts, and it didn't matter who it was. Um, I remember being a kid and listening to DK for the first time and, and hearing him. I, I, the first time I remember hearing David was the Ole Miss-Arkansas game where Ole Miss stopped him at the goal line as time expired. I was in Louisville, Mississippi. Uh, I was riding with my parents. That game was on, and I just remember thinking it was so exciting listening to that play. I, I listened to Jack Crystal. I listened to Bill Waldberg doing uh, Jackson Generals games, and I just – I don't know. I couldn't get enough of listening to those guys 
and thinking how cool it was that they were on the air calling games uh, that I couldn't be at. And it, it just it drew me in from a very, very young age, and I just knew I wanted to pursue it. And fortunately for me, one door opened to the next and to the next and to the next. And, and I, I didn't mind the odds. I mean, I, I heard people tell me all the time, well, there are only 30 major league jobs. The odds of getting one are, are very, very low. But I, I just thought, um, and, and maybe this was reckless thinking, but I just thought I was the exception and not the rule. I thought if I outworked everybody that it would just work out for me. And, and I just got fortunate that it did, right place, right time, very blessed, timing, all that stuff. And for some reason, it just worked out. Yeah, when you finally get the Braves gig, you moved to Atlanta for the pre and post. I mean, that – that had to feel like a player getting called up in a way. If you're doing cabinetry work and God knows what else on the side, all of a sudden it's, hey, I'm going to go do TV for the Atlanta Braves. I mean, that, that, that's got to be whatever our version of, of, of a player getting that call looks like. Man, it, it felt like hitting the lottery. Yeah. It really did. Um, because And, and here, here was the biggest thing about that. When I got the job, yes, I was doing pre- and post-game, but I was also going to be the fill-in play-by-play guy. So when I got the job, I didn't know exactly when, but I knew at some point that summer I was going to get to call big league games. And that was such a game-changer for me. That, that blew my mind because I had just spent seven seasons doing minor league ball, dreaming of doing big league ball every single night. And there were nights in ballparks with ten people in the ballpark where I felt like I was light years away from the big leagues. And it, you, you really don't know how close you actually are, but it just feels like how you just feel so far away. So when I got the job, um, all, all I could think about was this, this is the summer. This is the year. This is going to happen. I'm going to get to call big league games. And the very first game I got to call was April 29th of 2011. It was the Braves and the Cardinals. And I was going to get to take over in the fourth inning. So when we, finished the top of the third inning I knew who my first batter was going to be for the next inning and I'm looking down and oh my gosh Albert Pujols is going to lead off the fourth inning and the first batter (laughs) I ever called the big leagues was Albert Pujols who is arguably the greatest player of the last 30 years of the big leagues and that was just overwhelming to me he got a base into left field and every time I've, I've called a game that had Albert in it ever since I've thought about that first at bat that first game thought about it last night um, Albert was in the lineup last night for the Cardinals. He had two base hits last night. And twice I thought about that very first game that I called back in April of, of 2011 and just thinking how cool it, it, it was to start off uh, with a player like that. You know, it could have been anybody. It could have been you know, Nate McLeod or somebody that you would have you know, not remembered. But it was a future <laughs> Hall of Famer, and that just, that just felt – nothing against Nate. I love Nate. Yeah, sure. No, um, no. But just – but uh, it's just so cool to think that it's somebody that, that people will, will know and remember and one of the greatest of all time. And the hardest thing with that, when you get to that level or even when you took over the, the, the primary job when you did, is just to be yourself, right? Because you have to kind of – you have to go like, hey, I'm, I'm not replacing this guy or I'm not trying to be Vin Scully or I'm not doing all these different things. Just what got me here, keep doing that. I mean, I would assume that in some ways you've got to kind of calm yourself down a little bit. You absolutely do. Um, And I think it helped me a lot, Chase, just to have the role that I had prior to 2019, because our fans got to know me before I became the lead broadcaster. So I I wasn't just some Johnny come lately that nobody Mm -hmm. knew about and people would say, well, who is this guy? They were familiar. And I think that helped me a lot. 
Um, you know, and, and you don't, you can't do this job trying to please everybody. There are going to people, there will be people who love you. There are going to be people who don't like you at all. Uh, there are going to be people who want to hear more of guys who are here before. And you can understand, I mean, how that would make somebody feel when you're brand new to the job, but that's how it goes. Um, there, there are people who don't like uh, ice cream. You know, that doesn't make any sense to me, but that's just the way that it is. People are different. So you can't go in there trying to please everybody. You have to do what you know you're capable of, uh, the, the best way that you know how to do it. The team has entrusted you with a great opportunity, a great duty, and, and it's my job to do that the very best that I know how to do. And you get reminders of that. Um, we're in Cincinnati, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to name drop, but I just got to tell you the story because it's in, in line with what you're talking about. Marty Brenneman is one of my all-time heroes. He was the voice of the Reds for almost 50 years. He and Chip Carey have a pretty good bond. And anytime we're in Cincinnati, Marty will come and, and have drinks with us at the hotel, which is just an absolute delight for me. I just show up, shut up, and listen to everything that he has to say. And he texted me yesterday and just reminded me, keep doing what you're doing. By all means, stay humble. Uh, there are plenty of guys in this industry who have become, you know, egomaniacs, and we're here because of the game. And, and I just loved getting that reminder because that's how I feel, and that's coming from a Hall of Fame broadcaster. And, and I think that's great advice for anybody who's in our profession, whether it's been for one season or 50 seasons. That's a great reminder routinely to know that we're here because of the game, and it's our job to make the, the players on the field the stars uh, it's our job to bring attention to them, what they're doing, and, and ultimately to, to take our game to our listening audience. And it's such a tremendous duty uh, and, and joy to do that every single night. How much of it was spontaneous, and how much had you thought about what your call would be at the end of the World Series final game last year? Seven I know it's a cliche question, but I'm just curious. No, no, it's, it's a great question. because Here's, here's the thing. If, if that were a three to two game going to the bottom of the ninth inning versus the seven nothing game that we had going to the bottom of the ninth inning. The answer to that question is totally different. If it's three to two, I have no idea what's going to happen. I, the, the, the game happens. Uh, the play happens. You make the final call. Whatever comes out, comes out. When it's seven to nothing after Freddie goes deep in the seventh inning, we come back from break in the eighth inning. And the first thing that goes through my mind is, is, Holy smokes, this is happening. It's happening tonight. Uh, we're not losing this game. And here in about the next 30 minutes, you're going to call the final out of a World Series. So the first thing that went through my mind is, is don't panic, calm down. Um, make sure that you get everything right. And that's what I kept telling myself the whole time. And I, I am adamantly against scripting calls, writing calls down, I've, I've heard other broadcasters do that. I feel like it never comes out the way that they want to. And I just wouldn't be talented enough to watch a play and then pick up a sheet of paper and start reading. So all I was telling myself was make sure that you timestamp this thing with the year. I want the year and the call. I want people to listen to this 50 years from now, 100 years from now, and know this was the final out of the 2021 World Series in Houston, Texas, between the Braves and the Astros. I wanted that historical information time-stamped into the call. When we get to an 0-2 count, it's, it's uh, Will Smith looking for one more strike. And the, like a lightning bolt chase in my mind, 
the phrase, is this about to happen, shoots into my mind. And I think to myself, that's it. That's what I'm going to say if we get the final out right here. And sure enough, ground ball to Dansby Swanson. And if you listen to the call, he deeks me out for a second. He wanted to go to second base, and and Ozzy was not there to cover. Ozzy was already celebrating, like the game (laughs) was already over. And Dansby deeks the second, and then he throws the first base. So I'm I'm wait I'm I sit on the word he for what felt like an eternity. It was probably about a second. But as, as a grounds ball to Dansby, he, and, and I never have a verbal pause like that. But I thought he was about to go to second base, and I didn't want to get it wrong and say he goes to second. No, he goes to first. So I just sit on this lengthy he for like a second and a half. And then I say he throws the first base. Is this happening? And then that, everything else that happened after that was just off the cuff. And if you watch the video, we had a video running in our booth. And Jay, Chad, and Joe are, are just losing their freaking minds. Uh, Jay, Chad just about throws out Joe's back because he leaps into his mm-hmm. arms. Joe said after the game, he's like, I felt like I was trying to catch a cannonball uh, when you jumped into my arms because Jay, Chad's not a light kid. Um, but if you watch the video, they're celebrating. I had no idea all the, all the things that were going on around me with how much they were jumping around, all the movement. I don't think I blinked for about two minutes. Um, I was so locked in and wanted to get the call historically accurate and get all the details accurate that it can be a call that still tells the same, same story uh, decades down the road. And it was, it was definitely a relief to, to have it done, um, have it historically finished, and that call was done. And I was just so glad that it came out the way that it did and I didn't get any of the information wrong. You listened to it after and went, okay, I got that one as, as right as I could. Felt good about it? I, I felt great about it. Yeah. I just uh, – I, I went back and listened to it. Uh, when we got on the bus – I didn't hear it until we got on the bus uh, to go to uh, the, the post-game party. And I, I just remember having a big smile on my face knowing that I didn't give the wrong score or say the wrong player or anything like that. I, I just felt – um, so accomplished that I was able to deliver that call and get all the information accurate and match what was happening on the field with um, with my voice. I, I felt like I did that and, and did it to the best that I that I could. And um, I, I hope I get to do it again because once you've done it once, you, all you want to do is do that every single year. I, I get it's way different in so many different ways, but there there are a few comparisons. Atlanta winning the title last year, you're in the middle of the season, Ole Miss just winning the College World Series. How has the mood shifted just around the place for a team trying to defend versus win the first time? I mean, is there something kind of intangible? I mean, do, do you notice any any sort of mood or attitude sort of adjustments just around the park and around the people this year? Yeah, I think a couple of things jump out. I think within the clubhouse, there is there's certainly um, a confidence and a, a, a group that's not going to panic no matter what. I mean, if you can win the title last year with everything that they had to go against them, there, there's never a reason to panic. And it's a very, very confident bunch, and I think that goes a long way. I think they know now what it takes. And if they can just get into the postseason, which it, it looks like, it, at least here at the halfway point, they're on track for that. If they can get in, they know how to win come October. And, and I think accomplishing that helps you in the years to come. I mean, go ask the Dodgers. 
uh, go ask the Astros. Once you're in there, it's like you you don't have the same jitters per se in the division series or the championship series that maybe you have in years past when it's your first time there. Uh, you have an expectation. I think that goes a long way for our ball club, and, and I think that confidence and having accomplished that already will help them even more so this coming October if they can get into the postseason. I think around the ballpark with the fans and such, number one, the crowds have been unlike anything I've ever seen. We're, we're 35,000-plus every single night. We've played about 40 home games. We've got about 20 sellouts. So that's 20 times we've been 40,000-plus. Uh, the Dodgers are the only team that, that uh, are, are ahead of the Braves in attendance, and their, their ballpark holds 10,000 more people than ours does. And um, I, I just think the attendance has been incredible. People have come uh, to the ballpark, whether it's a rainy Tuesday night or whether it's a Saturday night versus the Dodgers, and they're there. It has become the place to be in Atlanta. It is such a hot spot. Um, I think when you consider what the team is doing, uh, how great the ballpark is and how much it's been enjoyed by the fans and then the battery as well. It's just become the place to be. And, and people are people who don't even know anything about baseball want to be at the ballpark because socially it's the place to be in Atlanta uh, right now. And, and I think it's so much fun to be a part of that, knowing that we're right in the middle of it all. Uh, so that's the biggest thing that I have seen. I, I, we, we've done fine in attendance ever since we opened up the, uh, opened up the ballpark to begin with. But adding a championship in there, everybody wants to be a part of that. And the Braves are so unique from the standpoint of pulling from an entire region of people rather than just a city or just a state. Uh, there, there really aren't too many other teams that have the, the, the geographical footprint that the Braves have. So I, it, it seems like so many people throughout the southeast feel like they have to make at least one summertime pilgrimage to Atlanta to see the Braves for a series. And, and we've witnessed that series after series, and, and the uh, the proof is there in the attendance figures. Yeah, because at one point you either did or had the largest radio footprint, right, in Major League Baseball? Did I see that somewhere? We, yeah, we go, we go back and forth, Chase, with the Cardinals uh, year after year. They'll, they'll, one year they'll have 152 affiliates. We'll have 148. And okay. then the next year maybe we'll have 155, then they have 149. It kind of fluctuates back and forth. I think as it stands right now, we currently have the largest radio network in professional sports. I think we're up a, just shy of 160, and we might have two or three stations more than St. Louis. But it, it's our two radio networks back and forth. Did you follow much of Ole Miss's postseason run? I did. Um, when they went to Miami, um, I remember thinking, well, maybe they can – they know that Arizona team. They saw them last year in the Supers, and maybe that'll help them out. And it, they did, and they, they blitzed through that regional, and that's when it got my attention because I knew, okay, they're they going to play Southern Miss in Hattiesburg. That's going to be huge. And then they don't give up a run and, and go to, uh, to the region or to the, to the College World Series. And I was, I was very curious to see how it would play out because I, I know lots of people who are a lot closer to it than I am. And from what I could gather is if they didn't make it to Omaha, there would be people inquiring on perhaps needing a new coach moving forward. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I think there are people questioning whether or not Mike Bianco w was it moving forward past this season. And if they do, if they do go to Omaha, then maybe that answers some of those questions. So I was thrilled to see them go to Omaha. And my thought was, okay, well, at, at that point, um, 
that solidifies having Mike for however long he wants to be there, another trip to Omaha. But we're having a conversation, Joe Simpson and I are, and he, he walks into the booth one day. This is before the College World Series started. He's an Oklahoma alum, and he says, I, I like our chances for you and, and me to meet in the in the championship series. I said, really? He said, he said, he said, Ole Miss hadn't given up a run. They hadn't lost. And he said, and we're getting, we're as healthy as we've been all year. Um, and sure enough, that's what happens. And we had a, a, a little wager on it with the championship series. So that was a lot of fun to watch, but, uh, to, to blast right on through the, the postseason, the regionals, the super regionals and the college world series and what lose one game. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was, that was incredible. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, we, I don't get to see a whole lot of games just because of our schedule, but I was able to watch about four innings of game one versus Oklahoma, and I watched the entire game, um, in the second game, where they won the whole thing, and it was so cool. I had so many friends who were there, and they got to witness it, and then you log on to Facebook the next day, and there's just pictures all over social media of people who were there and smiles on everybody's faces. And I, I just thought that was so cool. And seeing what our state has accomplished the last two years in college baseball is really incredible. Uh, and I'm glad that Ole Miss was able to jump in and get that national championship. It made a lot of people very, very proud. Yeah, I kind of had a little bit of overload because, like you said, Mike was out if they don't make the NCAA tournament. They're the last team in. They end up, they win it all, and when I get done, we do a post game show as soon as the on YouTube as soon as the games are over. And I, I went and did that, and I said, okay, I've got to write now. And I thought there's 14 stories. I have no idea which one is the one for this, the the winning story right now. And I kind of just I stared at my computer for almost what felt like an hour, going, I, I don't know what it is because there was so many things. I mean, there actually are some, you know, some Braves type parallels on just the things that they they dealt with throughout the year, which was a. Uh, which is fairly phenomenal. Yeah, it, it, it made for uh, for quite the story. Just curious, wrapping up last uh, last thing. What's the uh, what's your favorite park to broadcast in? Not Atlanta, and what's the best city to visit for a series? Best city that we visit is Chicago because um, you have day games, so that way you have your nights free. And there are only about 200,000 amazing restaurants in Chicago. <laughs> you, can, you can walk blindfolded down the streets of Chicago and find a great restaurant in Chicago. So I love Chicago. It's one of my favorite hotels that we stay in. We're right off of Michigan Avenue, and it is the place to be, man. It, it's a lot of fun, especially if you're there in June or July. The weather is spectacular. We were there in June. Amazing weather. And um, it, it's such a great town to be in. Best ballpark to broadcast from. It, it's, it's a tough one because the, the best ballpark that I would choose to go to if I were a fan is totally different than the best ballpark I would broadcast from. For me, it's all about vantage point, space in the booth, um, things like that. And, and from that standpoint, there are two or three that jump out to me. Philadelphia has a great vantage point, great booth. Uh, Boston has a great vantage point, great booth, and, of course, a great ballpark. Um, there's a spectacular vantage point in San Francisco, and you have just a, a great view of the bay and all that. And, and I love, I absolutely love working Dodger Stadium, not because of the amenities, not because of the booth. There's nothing special about it at all, but they pack that place. It's loud, and anytime I'm working there, it feels like it is the biggest game in the world. And beating those guys there 
um, for, a, for a game of the postseason last year was absolutely incredible because anytime you win there, it's typically a nail-biter and a thriller. And those are some of my favorites when it comes to working in, in different booths around Major League Baseball. Well, I kept you as long as I said I would. I really appreciate it. I know you got a busy day. You're trying to get back to the uh, house. So thank you, and let's, uh, let's do it again. You got it, man. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.